That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy. Like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back to Just a Sip. You guys, I am Justin Sylvester. The conversation with Dr. Drew Pinsky last week was so good, we decide to split it up into two parts. The tea is hot in this episode, but I have to warn you, we talk about some specific celebrities. Dr. Drew did not treat these celebrities, but he is going to give his opinion on them today. Did you watch that whole Britney, framing Britney thing? I didn't uh, because I knew it had a point of view, and I, here's and I and I have a strong point of view, and I, I didn't want to get into it. So here's my point of view, just so you know: the fact that she was put under a conservatorship saved her life. Number one. Number two, parents rarely step up and take that role because they're afraid of ruining the relationship. It's only the most courageous that follow the direction of the psychiatrist and get the conservatorship and want to save the life and not worry about the relationship. It's cowardly. Number three, she had a great psychiatrist who made great choices, and that's the other reason she's alive today. Number four, I believe she should have the opportunity to come off conservatorship if that's what she wants. I mean, we're far enough into this now that, I mean, she deserves you know, things to be modified if that's what she wants and try something different. And I'm, I'm fully supportive of that. However, oh. keep an eye on what happens. It, it may not go, it may, it may not go well. And, and that's okay. I do think police, people should have the opportunity to fall on their face, but there should be a lot of um, some, you know, safety nets around her to capture her if things go bad. So, uh, and if it's all about the money and they don't like everything, like, I, I get it. I, I totally get it. So I, I don't, I don't want to get into this thing that somebody's a bad person or somebody's a good person. They saved her life. It's time to modify thing. Okay. I agree with you on all those points, except the one of she wasn't asking to go away with the conservatorship. She just didn't want her dad to be yeah, you're right. that I person that for her. You're right. And and to get a – although she's going <laughs> to – professional conservators are not – you're better off with your dad, trust me. Not, oh. Nothing against professional conservators, but – it, it's a pretty cold kind of kind of a thing oh. that you have a professional concern. So, okay, okay, that's what she For wants. For sure. You yeah. know, I my issue with the whole thing is I've grown up with children who were raised by, by moms and dads who were mentally ill, yep. and no one gave a f*** about it. No one set up a conservatorship. No one put them in well, foster care. Well, no one okay. cared because they didn't have the money. Yeah. So your point is they should have had those things, but because they didn't have celebrity or money, they couldn't get it. Is that right? 
Yes. Okay. So you then agree with me. We should have much greater access to conservatorships in the state, in these different, particularly in California. We must have more conservatorships. We must have greater access to conservatorships. That's one of the big reasons you have people on the streets because nobody yes. can take them and go, hey, let's get you, let's get you better here, let's get you cleaned up, let's get going here. You're not allowed to get near them as opposed to a conservator who can really motivate them into proper care and get them put back together again. I thoroughly agree with you. Thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly. We should have a much richer, broader, more accessible, and a higher manpower count in terms of conservatorship. Absolutely. But I also think that we should be able to put a number on it. So let's say I, you're my conservator, and I know it's going to be for four years, and in right. four years we get to take that and, and let's take it a step back, reconsider it. Yep, I agree. Give me more. Give me more room. Give me more room. Hey, give me more they room. Could be, they could be uh, reevaluated every year, as far as I'm concerned. I, I have no problem with that, as long as people have access to these things. As it is now, I can be sitting, dying within, you know, my leg falling off with gangrene, rolling up my stool and putting it in lines and telling you, you can't touch that. That's mine, and we can't do anything with any of that. One hundred percent. Yeah. And that's the crazy yeah. part. And all I yeah. want for Brittany is, look, if she's going to up off the conservatorship, let her fuck up. And yeah, then be like, you know what? We tried it. You couldn't handle it. Here's what we're going to do. But I, I feel agree. like in this moment, you have this woman that's saying, I just want to know what it feels like to be normal. Yeah, yeah, and no yeah. one will give her a shot. But yeah, yeah we all saw 2008. That wasn't pretty. And if yes. I was her dad... It I would was, probably be like, we're not doing this. I totally agree with you. We all could have been Demi Lovato. We all could have been Jamie Lynn Spears and watching our sister go through that whole scenario. We all could have been Denise Richards' kids and watching Charlie Sheen go yeah. through that whole moment. Like, we have to remember, we have family members. Everyone knows somebody who deals with mental illness. Whether you like to admit it or not, whether they want to admit it or not, mental illness is around us whether we want to say it's prevalent or whatever we might call it, hey, it's there. The heart disease, stomach problems, joint disease, no brain is no different. The brain is another organ and it gets diseases very commonly. That's the, and we shouldn't be treating it any differently than our ankle problems. It's 100. the same. Yeah. 100. And if somebody had cancer of the liver we would feel sorry for them. So if somebody has a little bit of an issue with their brain, we mm -hmm. should feel just as sorry for them and their families. And, and by the way, you mentioned Demi Lovato. I've always kind of admired the way she, I mean, it's, it's, we've not heard the whole story and she's only starting to tell it now, but she's been trying really hard. Her relationship with her yes. illness and her ability to be honest about it. I, I, I've kind of admired the way she's done it. I've um, admired it. I have, I bow down to her. Mm -hmm. I think that she has in life, I think she's still figuring it out. I yeah. think that she is giving us all that she can right now because this yeah. is how far her yeah. understanding of it has been. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think we should ever rush a celebrity or a person, you know, in, in office or in power to ever come clean about their own addictions or their own mental illness, because it might take you 10 years to understand why you went through what you went through in 2010, or yeah. it might take you five years to understand what that overdose was, what, was stem mm -hmm. from and how you played a part in it and what you have done. I don't want half the story two weeks later on a bullshit apology or some mm -hmm. PR tour. Wait a minute. Give me some time. Yeah. I, I don't need it today. You ain't got to throw <laughs> it down my throat. Like I get it. You want your job back. I'm cool with it, but come find me two years from now. And you say, God, I've learned so much in those two years. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? I know who I am now. You know what I, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I do. And and I I think yeah, I agree. And and I think it's reasonable to go, "Hey, I've been told I have this condition, you know, it, it means the following." And that's it. <laughs> Just leave yeah. it at that. Leave that. Yes. And as you learn about it, go, "Boy, I've really learned a lot. Here's what I've learned." You know, go ahead. Yeah. 100%. On that same note, I have friends who learn something about themselves whether it might be mental illness and the first thing they want to do is put it on Instagram and they yeah. do it under the guise of, I yeah. want to help people. And I'm like, well, oh. how are you going to help people when you don't really know what this means for yeah. you and yourself? Like maybe yeah. you should spend some time with said diagnosis, get to know what it's like, and then let people know about your journey. Once you understand what this means to you. You are so right. We, we call that a flight to recovery or flight to health. And uh, once they're you know, zooming off to health, they're going to help others. And I'm sure it makes them feel better about things. That, but uh -uh. do not do that. Newcomers, no, no, no. You can share it. You can commune with it. You can encourage others to talk to you about it. But don't fix other people. No, no, no. And my favorite of all, mm -hmm. Which I'm dealing with right now is when people all of a sudden get a therapist. Now everybody needs therapy. <laughs> oh, you need to fix yourself. That's we have, again. We have aphorisms for all these things. That's called the pink cloud. So I'm I'm feeling so much better. You need to feel like me. And guess what? The pink cloud cloud only lasts so long. Then you start <laughs> doing, then you start doing the real work. Like your insurance hadn't even cleared yet. You've only been in therapy for two weeks. How are you going right. to tell me? It, it's it's interesting. Like it right. also happens when people first get into the program or decide to get sober. Pink cloud. And then they cloud, cloud everybody pink, pink and cloud. they diagnose everybody oh, yeah, yeah. almost That's... to a point where it's like, uh. if you thought I needed help, you should have told me before you went into. Yeah, no, that's not good. That's not good when, when people, uh, it, 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 you, that that's somebody when in, in recovery, like 12 step recovery, then when they start that stuff, that's a, not a good sign for the, for the individual. It's not a good sign. Oh it, it means, it means they're, 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 they're just, they're, they're obfuscating their work and, and by focusing on everybody else. So it's, it's not good, but you know, you can, they can come back from that. Can we? Yes, 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 yes. You can get back on track. Yeah. And look, no, I, people don't have straight lines to recovery or health or anything. It's, it's, you know, people make mistakes, people fall down, they don't listen, they trail off. There's a million ways that things don't go quite right <laughs> until they do. <laughs> um, yeah. My fear for myself and for those other single enthusiasts, because, yeah. you know, I find that I fight off the single shaming a lot where people are like, really? oh my God, you're still single? Oh my God, I can't believe you're still well, single. Well, you, you, you use two words I've not heard and it's interesting. Single shaming and single yeah. in, and single enthusiast. I'm both, a single both. enthusiast. And, and, okay? what the, and what's wrong with that? This is my only thing. Uh -huh. Am I getting too comfortable being by myself? But what comes with that is when there's somebody who wants to come into my space emotionally, physically, yeah. am I going to get to the place where I'm going to reject it because I'm here's, so comfortable being by myself? Here's the thing I know about men. And I don't know this about women, but I know this about men. It's not as much about the person as we think it is. We will, we will let the right person go by if it's not the right time in our life. 
And we know in our heart that if we had tried to cram that person into a relationship at that time when we weren't ready, we would screw it up. And, and that's just true of men. I just know it to be true. You have to be really ready in the, in the full sense. And if you pass up somebody, you'll regret it, of course, but you won't, you'll know that it just couldn't have worked out. Now, here's the liability to you. When you're significantly older, that's when alone becomes more of a, an issue, right? And guess what? There's still lots of people you can, you can find a relationship with when you're older. I mean, it doesn't, so just because you're older doesn't mean you can't find a relationship. You know what I mean? That's like, you want to be single till you're older? Cool. Good for you. Yeah, but you know, look, in gay life, Dr. Drew, like the 40, when you're 40 and you're looking for a 40 year old, nine times out of 10, they're looking for a 30 year old. That's not a 40 year old you want to be with, frankly. I shouldn't live in Los Angeles is what I'm saying. Maybe. I should be in Boise. I should be in Boise. Maybe. I should Maybe. be in Nevada. I should be somewhere where there's the next best thing syndrome does not exist. <laughs> My wife and I uh, visit a lot of gay bars in New York. Uh, for a couple reasons. One is we have lots of gay friends. And secondly, they have karaoke and, and often a piano. And I go and I Amen. go and I sing. And I go and I sing. So, so my point is, I know, there's a lot of middle-aged men and older middle-aged men too that, that go to these bars that are kind of hanging out. And, you know, there's no shortage of older gay men in New York City is what I'm saying. So maybe New York City is where you need to go maybe when you're so. older. When you're older. Not now. You're, older. You're, you're single committed. You're single enthusiast. Let me flip this story for my girls out there because yeah. I know a lot of women who meet a guy and the guy is not ready and the woman convinces him that they're ready. And then idea. all of a sudden, holy shit, we're getting married. A bad idea. You think that's a bad idea? I think it's a bad idea. It can work, but it's a bad idea generally. Men, I just, I've just seen this over and over and over again. They've got to be at that, that place in their life where they want to be doing that. Whatever that means to them. Whatever that means. And it can mean a lot of different things. But I've just, I just know that about men. They just got to be, I would call it ready, you know, ready. Otherwise, they're constantly, well, what if? Why didn't I? What if I just? And, blah, 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 blah. and that stays with them for a long time. Yeah. It's really nuts. It's yeah. crazy how we all operate. Damn, yeah. Dr. Drew, this is nuts. <laughs> yes, it's nuts. <laughs> okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know, it's so funny. I listened to you on Loveline, which I wish they would bring back. Because between you and Sue Johansson, I just learned so much about sex and life and love and relationships and all these things. And I'm just so happy that people, the younger generation and people who listen to you back in the day on Loveline can still find you doing that great work. Where can people find your show now? Well, if you go to drdrew.com, all my shows are there. Uh, you can also go to drdrew.tv to see where the streaming shows are get a, get a, a blast for that but where i'm doing more love line s stuff I, I have several different podcasts but one is called dr drew dr drew at the dark yeah, yeah bitch yes dr drew yeah. at the dark i'm into yeah. that one yeah and that one we get part of the show it's with christina p which is uh tom segura's wife and we get voice messages in 
And that's the Loveline-esque component. I, I, I've been, I told someone the other day, we need to cut out the voice messages and all my answers and push it out on TikTok because that's the Loveline-esque part of it. And people still have the same old question, man. It's the same old stuff. Not a lot different for me. If you guys didn't know what Dr. Drew After Dark is, I once had a neighbor tell me, this was like literally five or six months ago, it was like, do you listen to Dr. After Dark? I'm like, yeah, I, I've been on Dr. Drew After Dark for a long time. But I feel like a lot of times people have questions that they're embarrassed to ask. Sure, of course. And it always comes out on Dr. Yeah. Drew After Dark. Yeah, yeah. So you never and have that to was be the love line. That, that was the old love line model. Now, After Dark, is it's a new context, mind you. We're not just doing those kinds of questions. We're doing all kinds of other stuff, including uh, watching cool guys on videos on TikTok and things like that. So we're trying to figure people out. Yeah, there's still those old questions come out. And, and if you have questions, you're likely to hear your questions on that show. It's true. All of it. Dr. Drew After Dark, Drew and Adam show. And then I have a stream, streaming show we're working real hard on right now. So we're doing... I do it pretty much most days a streaming show. We have two versions of that. It's called Dose of Dr. Drew. Where we just I just sort of talk to the camera. And sometimes I use Clubhouse as a way to take phone calls. You haven't been on yes. Clubhouse yet? Yes. So I'll, I'll put the club the phone up to a microphone and I'll just take calls off Clubhouse and answer them. And then we have this thing called Ask Dr. Drew once a week. It's on Wednesdays where we actually have a formal phone calls uh, sort of system. And uh, usually guests come in, I interview people, stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's fun. Taken phone calls since 1980s. Dr. Drew, what's the craziest question someone has ever asked you? Well, Justin, people ask us that all the time. And when Adam and I used to get asked that question, we finally went, all right, we're going we're to have to pick one. You know what I mean? Because we, we, we would just go, last night we had some, well, every night, crazy. All right, we picked one. And it was this guy named James that who called us and he says, um, you know, you guys are supposed to have an open non-judgmental forum here, so I need your opinion. When people find out that I'm involved in this monogamous, loving relationship with my partner, they freak out. And we're like, well, what's the problem? Well, my partner is Brutus, my Akita Kali mix, and he had uh, been having sex with Brutus. In fact, more so, he had taught Brutus to have sex with him. And uh, yeah, I know. I know. Wait. Wait. Yeah. And uh, we learned a lot about zoophilia through old James. Uh, and that was, that was a long time ago. I was in the 90s. How long did you keep him on the line for? Pretty much the whole show. <laughs> and, and, we had a, and there was some comedy because uh, our, we, have, we had an all-women production staff and, and uh, call screeners. And they were freaking out. They were like, this man needs to be strung up. He needs to be shot. He's exploiting animals. The worst thing. He's the horrible, most horrible person I've ever seen. They were very emotional about it. And finally, Adam goes, <laughs> this is the comedy. Ready for this? Yes. And Adam goes, hey, hold on a minute. He goes, every night on this show, we hear about people being sexually abused in their childhood and exploited and abandoned. You don't get that upset about the people who are perpetrating that stuff against these children. And by the way, would you rather be a dog pulling a sled in the Iditarod or would you rather be Brutus? Who would you rather be? How bad does Brutus really have it? <laughs> so, oh my God. So that was that moment. So what I love about your shows, Love Line, Dr. Drew, Drew After Dark, is that you never, there's never shame or judgment. No, 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 no. That's always been your jam. Like even with Teen Mom, when 
throughout your career, there's just never been judgment. I know no. you want to judge a bitch every now and then. No, people think I'm judgmental. They think because I want to help people who want to stop using a substance, for instance, that somehow I'm the narc guy, no party guy. I want people to enjoy themselves, do whatever they want. When they need help, I'm here to help. And if they have, I'm particularly good at helping people stop doing something that they want to stop. They really want to stop. This is what actually drives me a little crazy. Um, I get so much crappy feedback on social media about how I need to be tougher. I need to call them out. I need to. Yeah, these are people with mental illness. You take people with significant, serious mental illness and you yell at them. First of all, first thing that happens is defenses go up like you can't believe. You cannot get through to somebody after you become aggressive with them. And secondly, it's the exact opposite of what they need. To me, that's just astonishing. They, people have been sort of um, lulled into the idea by daytime television that you, the way you deal with people is by confronting them. Are you kidding? Don't you see what's yeah. happening to your family? You need to stop using that heroin. They're like, yeah, no kidding. I, yeah. I'm trying to stop. Yeah, I, I can't. It's the point. It's the opposite of what people need. And by the way, it doesn't go anywhere because their defenses are up so high. Where are you going to go? They're just going to be like, All right, you know, what are you doing? Are you one of those people who, and I ask this because I have friends who are on both sides of the fence, where you have an addiction issue, you get off that addiction, but it's okay to use another vice. So let's say yeah, you have a drug addiction. No. If drugs no. wasn't your, if drinking wasn't your thing, and all of a sudden you're having a sip here, or a sip there, or a drink yeah, there, or a drink or you're, here. You're, or you're gambling or whatever. And, and, and by the way, the, the, the being not judgmental, I, I feel I feel compassion for people that are struggling with these things. Of course, I'm not judgmental. I, I know how painful it is. I know how difficult it is to change these behaviors. And yeah, somebody who has stopped one thing and is doing something else, it's not, that's not going well. Uh, that, that's not, that's what, you know, in terms of what I'm interested in helping people, what, what got me interested in addiction was not just helping people to stop using something, but to get them a flourishing life. I saw people, I've continued to see my entire career, people going from dying to better than they ever knew they could be. Wow. That's what I'm interested in helping people do. And to do that, you have to live a certain kind of life. It includes rigorous honesty. It includes not doing things that gratify like gambling or drugs that stimulate that reward system that's disordered if you have addiction. And it means putting, you know, putting interpersonal relationships and a service at the center of your life. And if you're not doing that, you don't get to have that miracle of recovery. You're just kind of trundling along and switching. Well, you may be better. Uh, you know, you may be better if you're, you know, just doing edibles all day as opposed to doing crack. That's better. I like that. That's better. But that's not what I want to help people do, which is fully flourishing life. Um, and again, there's, you know, a Behaviors around drugs and alcohol have changed a lot in the last few years. We Doctors have been prescribing so much stuff. We have people strung out on medication that aren't even addicts. They aren't yeah. really even addicts. They're just, they're dependent and they look like addicts. You get them off, they don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's a very different thing than somebody who is a full on addict and can't stop. They stop and they go back. They stop and they go back. That's somebody who has to live a certain kind of life or they will go back. How f***ed up is it that people in your community and your profession are aiding and abetting to it's, people's it's, demise. It's, it's you can't imagine how painful that is to me. 
How, how many, almost without exception, particularly in the 90s and 2000s, when my patient died, they died at the hands of my peers. And these people are still practicing no. medicine. Well, <laughs> the really egregious ones have come to the law, right? The law has stepped in on a lot of this stuff. But you got to understand, there was a discipline in medicine that pain, the, the, an entire professional discipline. I was considered an outlier, a dinosaur, somebody interested in human suffering, because they took the position that pain is whatever the patient says it is, pain control is whatever the patient says it is, and you can't give them enough opiates because anything less than what they need is opiophobia. Oh, it was you bad. were the white witch. You were the it, white witch. It was, was bad. Who was trying to figure out that wasn't just given by a prescription pad. Dude, it was bad. It was really bad. And I, I actually give a whole lecture on this it, it, because it was such a vivid experience for me because I fought it. My heroin addicts, when they were in withdrawal, were uncomfortable. No, unacceptable. You can't have somebody uncomfortable. That's that's in today's medicine. You give them an opiate if they're uncomfortable. Heroin wow. addicts. Yo, it was just bad. It was unbelievable. And the and everybody got into it. And again, talk. we talked earlier about it. I want an apology. I want an apology from those assholes. They killed an untoward number of people and we're still dealing with it. Still dealing with the, the, the aftermath of that. If you can put a money, a dollar sign on how much money you lost out on for not, you know, going to big pharma, not oh. caving, bribes, uh, you know, the I kickbacks. Guess, I mean, I, I, I never made much money practicing addiction medicine. It's, it's not a good business. Drug addicts, as one of my social work friends said, you know, people who are into drugs aren't into insurance. And so I, I always, I did a lot of free work, a lot. And now it's the point where I just do it all free because it just it doesn't feel right to me to try and try to get paid it's for it. It's a blessing for you. Yeah, it's not, it just doesn't, it's not a business. And um, I could have done what many paint management people did, which was just open essentially a Starbucks counter with a menu behind and let patients come in and order their medicines, whatever they want, and then charge them a big sum for that and let them walk out into the street. That's what they did back then. Yeah, that people made a lot of money doing that. I, I couldn't even I couldn't imagine I could not I couldn't imagine being that person. I couldn't do it. Oh so, my God! Yeah. For, for, I saw that I saw it coming in the '90s, and I fought it for 15 years, and then I got out of the fight. Then I then I, oh. I stopped stopped doing running a program. And even now, there's stuff going on that concerns me. the The excessive enthusiasm for harm avoidance. I'm a worried about that. I, I understand that many addicts are so far gone that we can't do anything else. But the problem is, a lot of people should have a chance at a flourishing life, and we're not giving them that chance. So it's it's kind of a mess still. I agree. Damn, we covered a lot today. We did, my friend. It's been too long since we've spoken. That's I know. <laughs> so. Last time I saw Dr. Drew, he was boarding a private jet. No, that was like not a private jet. That was like the, that jet suite thing, right? Wasn't it? It's a pretty much a private jet. No, it isn't. It's the same <laughs> price. It's the same price as Southwest. That's why we take it, my friend. <laughs> we, it's the same price as Southwest. And we, we saw each other like two seconds. I mean, last I time we like, sat down it. Yeah, yeah. sat down and talked was like, oh my years god, ago. years yeah. ago at this yeah. point. Another big conversation you and I need to have because you need to kind of straighten. You need to help me. I, I need all my African American friends to help me on, on the race front, and not to have the white old male perspective on things, and to make sure I know how to check myself all the time. That's a big conversation. <laughs> what, let's do it. I'm here, and I often tell people. 
you know, some people are sick and tired of, you know, being educators and some people are upset. Yeah, I that's why I don't. Yeah, see, I figured you would. That's why I don't usually ask for it. But I, I, you, you got to help us. We want to be right. We want to do right. And how I welcome the conversation. Yeah. yeah, I'm here to have a discourse about what you want to know, what you think you should know, the things that you feel that you're lacking because, you know, or how to say things. I think people just don't know, even know how to ask the questions correctly. And I'm an open book. So whenever you want to have that conversation, right. Right. I'll come on yours. You come on mine and we can All talk right. about it. All right. We got to do that. Because, because I'll tell you, if, if people aren't lucky enough to have a Justin in your life, the, the book, single book that helped the scales fall from my scale, my, my eyes most significantly was the, is the current, the newest biography out on Frederick Douglass. When you read that man's words in context, you, you can't help but let the scales fall from your eyes. That guy, if you, 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 I recommend it to you too. I recommend it to everybody because uh, it, it's, it. it's a piece of history that we, I think it's so intense. I think we forget about, we, we push that. There's, there's a piece after the Civil War that was so horrible that we just don't even want to think about it. But we need to, we really need to look at that, that time. And that man, God was that man brilliant. And he could, he could just wow. frame it and articulate it and help you understand it um, from his perspective. And uh, wow. it was an important perspective. 1619 is a good podcast to listen to because right. it will give you the step by step and it will break down things that have happened in the past and how long it took for um, things to actually get in motion. And, and you'll realize that the Black Lives Matter movement has been going on for 400 years. So, oh, yeah. It's right. a whole thing. You guys need to check it out. Dr. Drew, thank you so much. Alrighty. So good to talk to you. Really, really, really. You guys, thanks for listening. And do not forget to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And you can follow me at The Lady Sitter and be sure to come back every week for another pour of your favorite celebrity. 